The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. of the one holy living and true God. Amen. <clears throat> My fifth grandchild, Grace, was about five when this happened. We were in her room getting dressed for some event, I think a party, but Grace had gotten into all the wrong clothes and her mother, a patient, impatient to get out the door, had yelled at her. Trying to be a good granny, I quietly tried to coax her into her party dress. Grace began to cry, to sob, really. What? What, Gracie, why are you crying so hard about this? She wept out the words. I don't want to be a bad person. This pretty little girl with her light brown braids and big blue eyes now flowing with tears all I could do was wrap her in my arms. Oh, sweetie, you're not a bad person at all. We love you. Not a bad person. I rocked her and held her until finally she calmed and dressed, and off we went. This may seem an entirely trivial, mundane, really, incident, one that goes on all the time in any household where there are five-year-olds or people around that age, the power struggle, be it over clothes or nap time or eating broccoli. I have only remembered it and now tell of it because of that one desperate lament. I don't want to be a bad person. This seems to me like a primal lingering fear woven into our humanity. Are we basically good or wicked for our, from our birth? What of this world? Would the God who condemned the world of Noah and drowned it, but then changed God's mind and dried up the earth and promised never to do that again and sent the rainbow to remind us, would God do that again with atmospheric rivers and catastrophic floods and a year's rainfall in one day? Is our world indeed fallen? The rainbow just that, a rare shimmering, not often or universally perceived. If I didn't start the day with a walk at Fort Reno Park where I meet nature and dogs and seemingly well-meaning humans before I read the paper, many days would begin with glum despair. 
And in fact, I've gotten quite selective in reading the paper. Most of what I hear is what I pick up on NPR in my car. But in terms of the morning paper, I skip over a lot. I skip over anything about the former president, about mass shootings, about the latest polls and what they say about what's going to happen eight months from now, and I read nothing about our impotent legislature, nothing about wars. As the poet Christian Wyman writes, one grows so tired in American public life of certitudes and platitudes, the megaphone mouths and stadium praise, influencers and effluencers, and the whole tsunami of slop that comes pouring into our lives like toxic sludge." End of quote. Indeed, it can be hard not to sympathize with Noah's God way back then who just got fed up with us. Are we indeed, as Psalm 51 has it, wicked from my birth, a sinner from my mother's womb? We go from ashes to ashes, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Is wretchedness our true nature, penitence our only posture before God? Perhaps on this first Sunday in Lent, some of us are asking, is our sinfulness what Lent is all about? Is Lent mainly about reminding us of this over and over and keeping us on our knees, tapping into that desperate, fearful plea? I don't want to be a bad person. In response, I turn to the complexity, the mystery, and the glory of Scripture. Alongside the highly penitential language of much of this morning's liturgy, we have two stories, one about Noah and one about Jesus. In the Noah story, as I mentioned at the beginning, God changes God's mind. At the beginning of the story, some verses before our reading began, we hear this, quote, God saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was evil continually. And God was sorry that he had made humankind on earth. And God said, I will blot out human beings. End of quote. But there was the exception. Noah alone found favor and was spared. Now, um, I'm wildly conjecturing about God here. But it seems as if God, by sparing one human family, Noah and his wife and children, was perhaps God kind of buying himself some time during the flood to reconsider? Because he didn't blot everyone out. He did save that one family, Noah. And we don't know why, except that Noah was deemed to be blameless and righteous in God's sight. And we also don't know how God would be able to save humanity through Noah's offspring if all of them were sons. Or were the daughters just left out of the story? But none of this is the point. The point is what we heard in the reading, that God promised, made a covenant, actually the first covenant in the Bible, with Noah and his descendants, that God would never again visit the earth with such destruction. God changed what God had planned. God showed mercy. God's condemnation changed to blessing. It's a puzzling and richly told story. To me, it expresses an emerging belief in a God whose love endures despite our sins, a God who values creation and its potential for good more than God insists on retribution for sin. 
or at least more than God insists that somehow we must fully atone for our sins. And then in this morning's gospel, we have Mark's version of Jesus' baptism by John. We have Jesus coming to John, who was baptizing with water for the forgiveness of sins. Again, the presenting situation is human wickedness. People are coming to John out of repentance for evil. Again, the cry, I don't want to be a bad person. Then Jesus shows up and is also baptized by John. But now something new. The heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And then a voice, deep and rumbling like that of a father. Or perhaps soft and warm and comforting like that of a mother. We're not told, and we likely imagine the former. The voice says, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. No condemnation, only blessing. God's love meeting our potential for evil with blessing. Then, having done that, God sends Jesus out to be tempted and to meet all in the world, that, all that the world will throw at him, and to test his faith and strength. Jesus must face all of this, of course, and later the cross, but he goes into the wilderness armed with God's blessing. I think what these stories both suggest to us is that the love which created us in the first place is with us from the beginning. And when we fall short and miss the mark in big or small ways, that love of God is still there despite whatever punishments or temptations we face, as we surely should and will. But our goodness is more than our sinfulness. That's where things ended up with Noah. That's how God met Jesus at his baptism. Mercy and blessing outweighing condemnation. I believe that. I believe in a God for whom our imperfect penitence is met with God's perfect grace. God's mercy and blessing outweigh condemnation. But don't we have to let them? Don't we have to let God's mercy and grace outweigh condemnation? Do I get convinced that I'm stuck in my sins? Do I let the morning's news convince me that our country or our Congress or our warring world is stuck? Am I letting honest recognition of my shortcomings be overwhelmed by guilt and hopelessness? Or do I, in faith, let God's lavish love free me? Perhaps that's a good question for the beginning of Lent. Do I let God's lavish love free me? Rather than focusing on self-improvement or punishment in order to get right with God, how can we work on embracing ourselves in this world as already beloved? Can we accept God's blessing on Jesus and on us as beloved, well-pleasing to God, and then live as if that were so? When I fear that I can't measure up, that I'll be a bad person, can I in those moments feel the loving arms of God around me holding me and assuring me that I'm not, that I'm loved no matter what. And then, can I, can we, go out into the world and live that way? Amen.